Happy Monday and welcome to Not Boring. That was, of course, Dust to Dawn by Young Marco and Titus Lover, otherwise known as the Wag Me Anthem. And you'll see why in a second. So in May 2020, a couple months into the pandemic, I wrote my longest essay ever on a concept called Senius. Now, a year and a half later, we're in the midst of a history-bending one. Before we get to that, let's do a word from our sponsor, Masterworks. When most people think of high-end art, they think Picasso, Warhol, and whatever Banksy's doing at this very moment. But Masterworks, the fintech powerhouse valued at over a billion dollars, sees it as an alternative asset class for building generational wealth. And when you consider the contemporary art outperformed the S&P 500, real estate, and gold from 1995 to 2020, it's easy to see why. And now, people like you and me can get in on the blue-chip art market through Masterworks. Without selling a tech company or ransacking a museum, now everyone can add to their art portfolios to hedge against inflation and market risk. This is how it works. Masterworks buys a piece of art, and then it files a work with the SEC, sort of like filing for an IPO. Then you can buy shares representing an investment in that painting, similarly to buying stock in a company. Masterworks holds the piece, and when they sell, you get a prorated portion of the profit. It's like an NFT, but physical. If you want to join me on the road to becoming a billionaire investor, head to masterworks.io slash notboring to get priority access. That's masterworks.io slash notboring. I'll see you there. And you can see important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Seniors. We live in exceptionally rare times. We're part of the first global internet native seniors. Throughout history, a handful of time-place combinations have punched so far above their weight in terms of contribution to human progress that their existence befuddled academics. In 1997, Historian David Banks argued in The Problem of Excess Genius that, quote, the most important question we can ask of historians is why are some periods and places so astonishingly more productive than the rest? Figure out why, the logic goes, and we should be able to reproduce those productive periods and places on command. But in his essay, Banks concluded that no one had sufficiently explained the phenomenon, in part because, quote, essentially no scholarly effort had been directed towards it. 23 years later, Tyler Cowen and Patrick Collison identified the same phenomenon in their 2020 essay, We Need a New Science of Progress, saying, Looking backwards, it's striking how unevenly distributed progress has been in the past. The discoveries that came to elevate standards of living for everyone arose in comparatively tiny geographic pockets of innovative effort. They called for a new scholarly discipline, progress studies, which, quote, would study the successful people, organizations, institutions, policies, and cultures that have arisen to date, and it would attempt to concoct policies and prescriptions that would help improve our ability to generate useful progress in the future. The list of challenges facing humanity is long complex. Climate change, inequality, natural disasters, travel, education, and more. We can't leave solving those hard problems to chance. Understanding those productive periods and places might give us insight into organizing ourselves in such a way as to maximize our chances of solving. The same periods come up over and over again in these conversations because they were so head-scratchingly productive. Ancient Greece, Renaissance Florence, Elizabethan England, Northern England during the Industrial Revolution, Silicon Valley. These time-place combinations produce new ideas, new art, new economic structures, and new technology of astonishing breadth, quality, and staying power. Was it just random chance? Were an exceedingly large number of historical geniuses randomly born in the same small place in the same short time span? 
We'll cross the pond, British ambient musician, Brian Peter Saint-Jean Le Baptiste de la Salo Eno, RDI, henceforth Brian Eno, was scratching at the same question, focusing less on scholarship and more on vibes. He sought to push back on, quote, the notion that gifted individuals turn up out of nowhere and light the way for all the rest of us dummies to follow. In a letter to his friend, Dave Stewart, published in his 1996 book, A Year with Swollen Appendices, Eno wrote, I became and still am more and more convinced that the important changes in cultural history were actually the product of very large numbers of people and circumstances conspiring to make something new. I call it senius. It means the intelligence and intuition of a whole cultural scene. It is a communal form of the concept of genius. I would prefer to believe that the world is constantly being remade by all its inhabitants, that it is a cooperative enterprise. In the letter, Eno cited cultural examples like Dadaism in France, American experimental music in the late 50s and 60s, and punk in the 70s, but also suggested that it would be, quote, interesting to include scenes that were less specifically artistic, for instance, the history of the evolution of the internet. Turns out, seniors shows up throughout history in those astonishing, astonishingly productive places. It's the best explanation I've seen for Excess Genius. According to Kevin Kelly, whose framework for seniors we'll dive into shortly, quote, seniors is like genius, only embedded in a scene rather than in genes. To clear up some terms we'll use here, and this is going to translate way better on the page than it is spoken, but seniors with a lowercase s is the concept of communal genius but we'll use Senius with a capital S to describe those magical time-place combinations. Senius is the proper noun. Senius with lowercase s is the common one. Ancient Greece was an uppercase s Senius. The Renaissance was an uppercase s Senius. And Silicon Valley was an uppercase s Senius. Historically, Senius had been tied to and limited by place. Early last year, pre-pandemic, I set out to write my longest essay to date on whether there could be an internet seniors that removed the physical boundaries and therefore unleash more progress than any previous seniors. There were about 100,000 people living in Florence during the Renaissance. If you multiply that by 79,000, do you get 79,000 times the good ideas? Do you get even better ideas thanks to more connections and better intellectual sparring? I started research for the essay in February 2020 and quickly became disavowed of the notion. There were three reasons I didn't think we'd be able to conjure Senius online. One, we've been unable to replicate the magical camaraderie of in-person collaboration online. Two, there's been no common mission or common enemy strong enough to unite people around the world. I see you crypto people, we shall see. And I wrote that back then, I was wrong, not gonna make it. Three, until now, we have not experienced a global catalyzing event that has necessitated new modes of creating, communicating, and collaborating. Then of course, COVID hit. COVID is the greatest catastrophe the world has experienced collectively since World War II, and it's taken a terrible toll on human lives and the global economy. But I'm an optimist, and as I was writing Conjuring Seniors, I realized that it might also get us unstuck and create the conditions for an internet-scale seniors. Reading it back, a lot of the writing in the essay is cringy and overwrought, but I think I fucking nailed this prediction. When all is said and done, I believe that historians will look back at the coronavirus pandemic as the greatest catalyst for progress and creativity in human history. 17 months after I hit publish, we're in the middle of a holy grail seniors. Global instead of local, with the internet as a scene, bound only by time, but no longer by space. During COVID, we successfully moved large parts of the way we work and communicate online, unbound genius from geography, created new economic models and incentive structures, and made meaningful advances in healthcare, climate, finance, education, and more. 
this Xenius is also building the tools that will make other Xenia more common in the future. Part of the reason that we're more productive now than ever before is just so we're on an exponential curve, following the law of accelerating returns as I covered in Compounding Crazy. But I think it's something bigger than that, a step change instead of a smooth curve. Since February, I've been writing an accidental series on how Web3 is impacting culture, work, and the way that we all interact with each other. If Power to the Person was about how technology is empowering individuals as new atomic units of commerce, the great online game was about how the internet blurs the line between work and play for those individuals, and the cooperation economy was about how we play the game as teams of individuals or small groups, this essay goes one layer up to figure out how it all fits together. We're all part of a great global seniors. We're all going to make it. Let's call it the Wagme Senius. I had a vague idea that Web3 was the core of a new Senius when I started researching this piece. But what I didn't appreciate is that Web3 seems to be a toolkit for conjuring Senius. More than financial speculation, Web3 offers a set of tools that can align incentives in ways that allow groups to tap into their communal genius. We'll focus mainly on Web3 in this piece because it fits the Senius framework so beautifully, but the Wagme Senius isn't limited to Web3. The conditions are ripe for progress, and the culture is coalescing around the same ethos that has defined Xenia of the past, but this time, the whole globe is participating. The outputs are unpredictable, but when all is said and done, I still believe historians will look back at this period as the most productive in human history to date. Plus, the models we develop today might play a critical role in shaping how we govern our new frontiers, space and the metaverse. This essay is an attempt to put everything into historical context and guess at where it's headed. To understand what's going on, why, how, and how to contribute, we'll cover Deconstructing Seniors, Is This a Seniors, and Wag Me Seniors. It's a silly word. I'm going to say it over and over again. Bear with me. Seniors is a vibe, one of those you-know-it-when-you-see-it things. But there's also a framework of exogenous and endogenous factors that nurture Seniors and help us identify it. Deconstructing Seniors. There are two sets of factors that make for a productive Seniors. One, exogenous factors are the preconditions outside the control of the scene itself. And two, endogenous factors are those things that the scene does and how it behaves, its rituals and norms. The first part is luck, whether the environment is right for seniors at a given time. And the second part is what the people in the scene do with that luck to make the most of the opportunity. Let's start with the exogenous. Exogenous factors. David Banks ended the problem of excess genius with disappointment that so little, well, progress had been made in understanding why intellectual hotspots appear on the map when and where they do. Finally, 15 years later, in a 2012 Wired article, Cultivating Genius, author Jonah Lair proposed an answer to Banks' question, citing Nobel laureate Paul Romer's work on meta-ideas, or ideas that support the spread of other ideas. He suggested three that have been present in eras of excess genius, like Renaissance Florence and Elizabethan England. One, human mixing. Past talent clusters were all commercial trading centers, which allowed a diversity of people to share ideas. Two, education. Each of the flourishing cultures Lair examined pioneered new forms of teaching and learning. In Florence, it was the rise of the apprentice-master model. In Elizabethan England, it was the government's effort to educate middle-class males like William Shakespeare, the son of an illiterate glover. And three, institutions that encourage risk-taking. Florence had the Medicis, and Shakespeare was lucky to have royal support for his odd tragedies. Wealthy benefactors gave creatives room to flourish. And this one sits between exogenous and endogenous. In Conjuring Seniors, I tried to add some ingredients to the pot, and one in particular seemed to appear before most of history's great senior, catastrophe. Ancient Greece followed the Greek Dark Ages, a 350-year period after the collapse of the Bronze Age. You can draw a direct line from World War II to Building 20 at MIT, Bell Labs, and ultimately Silicon Valley. 
The Junto came out of the Revolutionary War. The Renaissance emerged from the fall of the Western Roman Empire and the bubonic plague. The two in the list that didn't emerge from catastrophe, which were the Industrial Revolution and the Enlightenment, they rode the momentum from a previous genius and used its outputs as building blocks. So why does genius emerge from catastrophe? For one, catastrophe focuses energy, attention, and talent. The U.S. government pulled the brightest minds in the nation together to develop new technology to power the war effort, and those technologies, like the transistors that came out of Bell Labs, formed the foundation of Silicon Valley. Second, crisis shakes and breaks and calls for new solutions. When everything is burnt to the ground, there's room for new ideas and institutions to grow. Ben Franklin's Junto created the first volunteer fire company, public library, and philosophical society in the United States of America, along with the University of Pennsylvania. Third, catastrophe brings people together in ways that are difficult to accomplish in peacetime. In Tribe, Sebastian Younger wrote, disasters, he proposed, create a community of sufferers that allow individuals to experience an immensely reassuring connection to others. As people come together to face an existential threat, Fritz found, class differences are temporarily erased, income disparities become irrelevant, race is overlooked, and individuals are assessed simply by what they're willing to do for the group. Even after the catastrophe ends, there seems to be an afterglow, during which newly formed channels of collaboration continue to bear fruit. Those four factors, human mixing, new educational models, institutions that encourage risk-taking, and catastrophe, set the stage for seniors. Then the endogenous factors take over, and it's up to the scene to make its impact. Endogenous factors. A little over a decade after Brian Eno named and defined seniors, Wired's Kevin Kelly popularized the term in the tech community and put a framework around it. In a 2008 blog post, Senius or Communal Genius, Kelly looked at some historical examples and came up with four factors that nurture Senius once it takes root. One, mutual appreciation. Risky moves are applauded by the group, subtlety is appreciated, and friendly competition goads the shy. Senius can be thought of as the best of peer pressure. Two, rapid exchange of tools and techniques. As soon as something is invented, it is flaunted and then shared. Ideas flow quickly because they're flowing inside a common language and sensibility. Three, network effects of success. When a record is broken, the hit happens or breakthrough erupts, the success is claimed by the entire scene. This empowers the scene to further success. And four, a local tolerance for the novelties. The local outside does not push back too hard against the transgressions of the scene. The renegades and mavericks are protected by this buffer zone. Kelly's four factors are present in any seniors, from the purely artistic to something as local and specific as Yosemite Park's Camp 4. In Conjuring Seniors, I added four ingredients that seemed to be present in all of the examples of the great senior that had lasting impact on the world. One was emergence from catastrophe, which we talked about above, and the remaining three are endogenous factors that can be used to strengthen the seniors. One, competition. Healthy competition sharpens the blades of new ideas within the safety of the scene, and pushes participants to achieve bigger and better things. The ancient Greek philosophical schools competed in the, quote, marketplace of ideas, and competition between Michelangelo and Leonardo, the artist, not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, raised the status of art and culture and pushed both men to advance the craft. Two, place-based ritual. A scene needs a setting. The Junto met in a bar, the Inklings in the Eagle and Child pub, Motown's artists in Detroit houses, and Renaissance artists in Le Bottega. Informal meeting places enable all four of Kelly's ingredients. And three, diversity of thought and experience. New ideas form at the intersection of existing ones, and the mashup of people from diverse backgrounds with diverse thoughts and experiences provides fodder for the new. 
This is both an exogenous factor. First, people need to be in a certain place at a certain time for their ideas to mix and an endogenous one. The scene needs to be welcoming to new people, ideas, and perspectives. Those 11 factors, four exogenous and seven endogenous, can turn groups of individuals into a senius, a community that accomplishes much more across a range of disciplines than would otherwise be expected from a group of people with the same talents. There have certainly been groupings of people as intelligent as those alive in ancient Greece or Florence during the Renaissance who lived in the same place around the same time. Without the right underlying conditions, however, they weren't able to combine their talents in any way meaningful enough that we remember and build upon their contributions today. When they are in place, though, magic happens, and they're in place right now. Is this a senius? We're in the middle of a new senius now, one global in scale and broad in scope. I can feel it. To put that feeling to the test, let's run our current situation through those 11 factors, starting with exogenous factors. Senior bloom in environments high in human mixing, new forms of education, institutions that encourage risk-taking, and ones that are emerging from catastrophe. That perfectly describes this moment in time. Catastrophe. COVID is obviously the worst for many, many reasons. And it's also been excellent for nurturing seniors. It's hard to remember, but two years ago, meeting people on Zoom was a bit of a novelty. Twitter friends were not real friends, and Discord was a chat room for gamers. Despite the fact that we had global connectivity, we hadn't developed the cultural muscle memory to work together online as naturally as working in person. Online meant lossy. Then COVID changed everything. Within days, the world went from IRL to URL. Every single one of you has spent time on a Zoom happy hour for better or worse. And more importantly, you've learned how to work with teams remotely, make friends on Twitter, play the great online game, and team up in the cooperation economy. In the course of two years, we've become nearly as good, and in some cases better, at communicating, collaborating, and creating online as we were in person. It also gave people the chance to pursue, pursue things that they were really interested in doing, either instead of their old job or on the side with no manager at their back. There would be no Web3 renaissance without all of that time and attention seeking novelty and distraction online. We form new habits that will outlast or return to normalcy. Plus, COVID shocked the system and woke us back up. While people are still tribal and there are plenty of idiots out there digging in deeper and counterproductive positions, most of us banded together around a shared mission. In Fritz's parlance, we're a community of sufferers, our differences temporarily erased and replaced by a hierarchy based on our ability to contribute. Human mixing. If past clusters of genius were all local commercial trading centers, the internet is the world's trading center. It's hard to overstate or even understand the impact of pulling people from around the globe onto one big playing field. In an interview with Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, Tyler Cowen said that, quote, the bringing together of different ideas and cultures and the new clash of opposing perspectives has been correlated with a lot of these Viennas, or Xenia, in history. Cowan pointed out that even in the Scottish Enlightenment, the immigration of people from the Scottish islands to Edinburgh was a bigger change than moving from Mexico to Los Angeles today. That human mixing created sparks that led to capitalism and a celebration of human reason, and we're talking about going from the Scottish Isles to the mainland. Now, anyone with an internet connection from Scotland to Mexico to Vietnam to Nigeria to India is able to build products and find global audiences and contribute to existing ones. They can be global creators and consumers. Friends with Benefits, the popular DAO with $114 million market cap, has local channels for SF, Berlin, NYC, Asia and Australia, Miami, Canada, Lisbon, Paris, and more. Axie Infinity was started by a small team in Vietnam and is on track to do $1 billion in revenue, shake up the business model of gaming, launch the X to Earn movement, and change employment in large countries from the Philippines to Brazil. Talent is evenly distributed, and opportunity is beginning to catch up. 
Imagine the sparks that are going to fly as we get better at working together across borders. The global marketplace of talent ideas might be the single biggest shift in the past half century, and we're just beginning to see the earliest implications. Education. Another underappreciated impact of COVID is how dramatically it's shaken up education. That's obvious on the surface. Millions of students shifted their education online for at least a year, but I think there's something bigger afoot. The sometimes tragically comical educational situations students found themselves in called the whole system into question. If our current educational system is largely a product of the Industrial Revolution, it's about to be reshaped to fit our modern revolution. The most important shift may be that credentials matter less than they have, and proving that you can do the work matters more. Between YouTube, Udemy, Replit, Optilistic, and a wide range of online educational resources, anyone smart and motivated enough can learn practically anything they want. They can participate in DAOs to get hands-on experience and even earn while learning with products like Rabbit Hole. It's a callback to the apprenticeship model that helped shape the Renaissance in Florence, supercharged by giving students access to the world's knowledge from their phone or laptop and the opportunity to experiment with different courses of self-directed study. Less focus on credentials and more focus on doing the work means that participants in a new scene will potentially skew younger, infusing new creativity and energy into the scene and blurring the lines between work and play. Anish, who built PartyBid, for example, was a student at the University of Waterloo and has more demand for his talents than any degree could bring him. He's now an associated crypto VC paradigm. Institutions that encourage risk-taking. Florence had the Medicis. We have armies of well-funded VCs, institutions, and individuals clamoring for risk in search of yield. In this environment, any half-decent idea will get the money it needs to maximize its chances of success. In Web3 specifically, my friend Reese Lindmark points out that crypto VCs and hedge funds have $52.4 billion under management, that VCs have invested roughly three times as much in crypto projects in 2021 as they did in 2020, and five times what they invested in 2019, and that there's 10 times as much money locked in DeFi protocols, $100 billion, as there was in the beginning of the pandemic. We are all Medicis. Shit, even Snoop Dogg revealed himself as anonymous NFT whale Cosmo de Medici. There's never been a better time to be a risk taker. The cost of trying something new is less than zero. Chances are there are investors willing to give you a lot of money to do it. So the scene is set. We're comfortable collaborating online, are less constrained by where we live and who we live near, have access to resources to learn anything and people to teach us, and operate in an environment in which financial institutions not only don't discourage risk, but actively covet it. Getting all those factors to line up is rare. Getting them to line up globally is rare still. Are we taking advantage of our good fortune? Yes, yes we are. Endogenous factors. Once the conditions are in place, it's up to the participants, all of us, to make seniors happen. While Kelly says that, quote, although many have tried many times, it's not really possible to command seniors into being, there is a playbook for nurturing it once it's in place. The Web3 community, aside from trolls and maxis, has been running that playbook to perfection, collectively, without realizing that that's what they're doing. In fact, Web3 seems perfectly suited as a model and set of tools to enable future senior. Mutual appreciation. Spend even an hour on crypto Twitter and you'll develop a sense of the power for the power of mutual appreciation. Kelly wrote that mutual appreciation means that, quote, risky moves are applauded by the group, subtlety is appreciated, and friendly competition goads the shy. Writing, even before Satoshi dropped the Bitcoin white paper, Kelly was describing the meme culture that now permeates Web3. When someone shares an NFT they bought, others approvingly tell them that it looks rare. There's a whole channel in the Wanderers Discord where Wanderers enthusiasts appreciate the subtle differences in each other's NFTs. Aping into new projects is applauded, and being early is often rewarded with airdrops, token grants to projects' earliest supporters. 
friendly competition to build up unique NFT collections, earn the most yield, and contribute the most to DAOs encourages participation from even otherwise shy people, often hidden safely behind pseudonymous accounts and NFT PFPs. There's never been a safer time to take risk or such a large community welcoming risk-taking. Rapid exchange of tools and techniques. This one is so on the nose that it feels like I'm cheating. One of the core components of Web3 is composability. The idea that pieces of software are Lego blocks that builders can snap together to build new products faster. As Chris Dixon wrote, composability is the software is compounding interest is the finance. Examples of the impact of composability abound. In a little over a year, we've already moved on from DeFi Summer to DeFi 2.0. Olympus DAO, the post child of DeFi 2.0, opened up its core tech and is licensing it to other protocols via Olympus Pro, which has already spawned projects like KlimaDAO, which more later. Earlier this month, Web3 publisher platform and so much more, Mirror, opened up its suite of tools, including additions, splits, auctions, and its famed token race to the public for anyone to build on top of. Loot released its lists of items as NFTs and allows anyone to build games and in-game items based on those lists. The rise of DAOs has created an ecosystem of new projects, often led and funded by the DAOs themselves, building DAO tooling and easier ways for DAOs to collaborate. NounsDAO, which is itself built on a fork of compound governance, opened up its intellectual property, the NFTs that it drops daily, under CC0, which gives up copyright and relinquishes control to the public domain. Allied projects like the one that Jack Butcher describes in a thread that I linked in the piece, where he made merch out of the nouns even though he doesn't own one. The list goes on and on, and it's not just software composability. The Web3 ethos encourages open dialogue, exchange, and education. As people learn, they share, and the scene's knowledge compounds. My friend Tropoli is launching a hype-free crypto course to help onboard more people from the traditional business world. Station is building the infrastructure for people to find and participate in Web3 projects. I'm part of the Crypto Culture and Society DAO, a crowdfunded learning DAO that seeks to solve the educational trilemma of content and pedagogy, community and network, and business model. And that was pedagogy. If successful, it will serve as a building block that others can use to create new educational experiences and accelerate the exchange of tools and techniques. Network effects of success. Part of the magic of the Silicon Valley seniors is that whenever a company has a good exit, that company's founders, employees, and investors usually take their gains and invest in other startups. As good things happen for some, they help good things happen for others. That happens on steroids in Web3. Cycles are shorter, people are getting rich faster, and they're plowing their money back into new projects, mainly to make even more money, but often because they've quickly become the internet's philanthropists and want to allocate resources to new art, culture, and governance that they want to see in the world. Further, done right, tokens align incentives in such a way that network effects of success are baked in. That's true on a local level, the project's builders and users do well when that project does well, and on a more macro level. What's good for the Web3 ecosystem is often good for all of its participants, financially and emotionally. Even people who don't own CryptoPunks celebrate when punks sell for record prices. It means they're right about this whole NFT thing after all. If you need further proof, look no further than Wagme. Thousands of times per day, Web3 folks sell each other Wagme across Twitter, Discords, Telegrams, and WhatsApp whenever anything remotely good happens. We're all gonna make it. It's network effects of success in pure form. Local tolerance for the novelties. Web3 is different than previous Xenia in a lot of ways, but maybe the biggest is that it began its life with money baked in. While other Xenia proposed radical new ideas, it was easier for them to hide away, for a while at least, and not draw authorities' attention. Not so for Web3. China has banned crypto too many times to count at this point. Over the summer, US regulators proposed overly broad crypto legislation as part of the infrastructure bill that would cripple certain players or at least force teams to set up shop overseas. 
When that happened, the whole community came out united and pushed back on the legislation. While the House still passed the bill, it showed that the most powerful players and erstwhile competitors are willing to fight together to protect the industry. Earlier this month, A16Z launched its Web3 policy website and gave lawmakers a proposed policy agenda titled How to Win the Future, an agenda for the third generation of the internet. In the face of obstacles, the biggest players in the space are putting their resources behind protecting the space's novelty. Competition. Web3 is cooperative and it's also competitive. It's fueled by positive sum competition in three main ways. First, there's the obvious. There's a global scoreboard running 24 7, 365. While a continuous focus on the numbers can be unhealthy, it also means that projects are always competing with each other or against their own records. If total value locked in Sabre were to drop, everyone would know about it immediately. And when the floor price of a popular NFT project drops, everyone knows about it. Second, with users and contributors able to easily jump between projects, there's a constant competition for the scarcest resource, attention. There are more great opportunities in crypto, openly accessible, than there is time in the day. Users' assets are stored in their own portable wallets, which they can take anywhere. There's 24-7 liquidity. If one project is more exciting than another or offers higher yields, people will jump. Third, and most uniquely, there's always the threat that a competitor or even an unhappy community member can fork your code and build a new competitive version of the project. The most famous example of this is Chef Nomi, the synonymous team behind SushiSwap, forking Uniswap in a dispute over Uniswap's resistance to issuing tokens to participants. And Uniswap would later airdrop tokens to early users. The threat that a competitor could copy-paste code and steal users who can themselves bring all of their assets over since they live on the blockchain, and that all this competition is out in the public, trackable on 24-7 scoreboards, means that teams need to constantly push to build better products and satisfy their users' demands. Place-based ritual. When I wrote Conjuring Genius, this was the factor that I was most worried about, the one that I thought translated most poorly online. There's no replacement for meeting a person and grabbing a beer. But faced with no alternative, humans did what humans do. We adapted. We learned how to create ritual in online places. The most clear example is GM. Every morning across Twitter and in thousands of discords, tens of thousands of people greet each other with a simple GM, short for good morning. Most of the discords I'm in have a dedicated GM channel in which people wish each other GM all day, every day. Remember, this is global. It's always a good morning somewhere. There was even a short-lived GM app. Each community has its own rituals, AMAs, town halls, conversations that run nonstop across the globe. Twitter and Discord have become the bars and taverns of the Wagme seniors. That said, Play still has a place. Last week, thousands of Web3 people went to Lisbon for LizCon, an Ethereum conference. Next week, they'll be in NYC for NFT NYC. Then they're back to Lisbon for Zlata's Breakpoint. As a dad who can't travel as much, the amount of FOMO that I feel every other week speaks to the fact that the Wagme seniors has built place-based ritual that moves fluidly between online and IRL. Diversity of thought and experience. On the internet, no one knows you're a dog. In 1993, The New Yorker ran a Peter Steiner cartoon poking fun at the fact that people in internet chat rooms could use fake names and say whatever they wanted without revealing their true identity. That worked for chat rooms. And as the internet evolved, people built up followings on Twitter and built up karma and Reddit under pseudonyms. But until Web3, it was impossible, or exceedingly difficult, to turn that cloud into cash or to run a company pseudonymously. But pseudos are everywhere in Web3. Instead of a red flag, Building up a following as a pseudonymous account is probably a, single, a signal that you know what you're doing. That levels the playing field. My friend Julia Lipton tweeted a few months ago about meeting the people behind some of those accounts. She said, Over the past few months, I've met five anon accounts that I follow IRL. Two were super hot women in their late 20s, early 30s. One was a woman in her 60s. And two were college kids from outside the U.S. Probably nothing. 
Last week, I committed to invest in a protocol run by a really smart college kid who only identified himself by his pseudonym. Half of the investors in the round were pseudos who I'd seen on Twitter. And that made me feel more comfortable with the investment. Combine that with the fact that Web3 is global, open, and permissionless, and it means that there are more voices from more places mixing together and adding their contributions. The best ideas win, no matter who or where they come from, and those ideas are mashed up and remixed into more and more novel ideas. That's contributed to an explosion of creativity in the space and will lead to enormous outcomes for the protocols and projects that embrace diverse participants. 11 factors, 11 checks. This is a senius, one that's global, always on, and ravenous for fresh ideas. So what's the Wagme Senius up to? Wagme Senius. After going through all 11 factors, it's clear that the Wagme Senius is indeed a Senius, and that it has all the makings of those all-time impactful ones. In the moment, it feels b- bizarre to compare our lived experience to ancient Greece or the Renaissance, but this has the potential to shape the next millennia like those have shaped history to this point. Any great Senius is cross-disciplinary, and the Wagme Senius is no different. Web3 is reshaping the internet and putting ownership in the hands of the people who build and use it. Customer acquisition costs that would have gone to Google and Facebook is being redeployed as upside for participants. As we spend more and more time online, the significance of that will will come to be fully appreciated. In the next decade, let alone the next century and beyond, Web3 will change how how people make a living. Already, Axie has 1.9 million users, many who rely on the game for their income, and has generated nearly $1 billion in revenue on nearly $2.5 billion of volume. More play-to-earn games are coming, like Star Atlas and Wilder World, as our entrance to the broader category of X-to-earn, a set of projects that directly reward users for their attention and participation. For many, work will look a lot different and more fun in the next 10 years. It's also reshaping arts and culture. More than half a million people have spent over $9 billion on NFTs via OpenSea alone in the past three months. In less than a month since announcing, Coinbase has over 2 million people on the waitlist for its NFT project, and the corporates are coming. This is just getting started. Now, these numbers are eye-popping, but they also mean that more artists are able to make a living selling their art and building communities around their work. As with the Medici's in Florence, more benefactors will mean that more artists can focus full-time on pushing the boundaries of their art. I'm particularly excited to see how the Wanderer's universe evolves and how the Aku story unfolds. Aku is the story of a young Black astronaut created by former MLB player Micah Johnson. After he heard his nephew ask, Mom, can astronauts be Black? It sent $10 million in volume and Visa just announced that Michael will be its first sponsored artist. NFTs are also paving the way for more digitally native art, like the generative art scene has seen in art blocks. Manifold lets creators put apps into their contracts, pushing NFTs beyond visual art. Music NFTs are coming too, and letting artists keep more of the money they generate instead of giving it to labels. The whole time I've been writing this piece, I've had NetSky on repeat on Audius, and new projects like Royal and Sound.xyz will push the boundaries of NFT music even further. If past senior a guide, new models and benefactors won't just mean a redistribution of profits, it will mean more musicians pushing the boundaries and creating new forms of music. Web3 tools are also being used to help solve previously intractable problems like climate change. Last week, Stu Bradley told me about ClimateNow, which is building a black hole for carbon. Climate, built on top of Olympus Pro, incentivizes people to buy carbon offsets and lock them up, driving up the cost of the offsets and therefore polluting. Climate launched last week, and it's already locked up nearly 6 million tons of carbon. Already, its market cap is hovering around a billion dollars, and participants are earning a 5.53% rebase every eight hours, which would compound to a 32,000% roughly APY, not investment advice. It's a prime example of that Benjamin Franklin mantra of doing well by doing good, 
and an early example of leveraging Web3 tools, norms, and money to incentivize and coordinate people to tack the world, tackle the world's biggest problems. Climate is also a convenient literary bridge to use to point out that while we focus on Web3 because it so clearly fits the definition of genius, historians will obviously remember the genius for more than Web3. In the next decade, we're going to make leaps towards saving the planet, fixing healthcare and extending health spans, changing the nature of work, traveling to space, and tackling myriad big problems. Many of the same exogenous and endogenous factors that contribute to Web3's flourishing are also present in those fields. Someone more embedded in those scenes should write about the amazing progress happening there. Otherwise, I got some exploring to do. We live in fertile times, inside a testing ground for new economic and governance models. Web3 lets us run thousands of real-world experiments in economics, incentive design, and governance simultaneously, with tracking visible on-chain and open to all. If we're not going to replace democracy in the U.S. with some new model that we discovered in a Discord, but we're pushing new frontiers, and those new frontiers will need new models. In the next decade, we'll have something that feels like a fully functioning metaverse, and many people will spend more of their time in these virtual worlds. They require new open governance models and economic structures, and the experiments we're running on Web3 now will influence how those worlds run. The ancient Greek seniors gave us democracy. What models will the Wagme seniors give virtual worlds? Beyond that, as space travel becomes more common, and ultimately, whether in 50 years, a century, or beyond, people will live off Earth and space stations around other planets far, far away. Those will have a clean economic and governmental slate too, and they'll need new models. It feels like a leap to draw a line from what we're doing online today to how we'll govern outer space, but don't be surprised if your great-great-grandchildren live in a system influenced by the outputs of the seniors. So what should you do to contribute to the seniors and help shape the future? If you haven't jumped in yet, as always, my advice is just to get involved and start learning, experimenting, participating, and building. Realize that things that might seem like novelties now, like tokens, NFTs, DAOs, and DeFi, are building blocks that future generations will build on, and that you have the potential to put your skills to work wherever they can do the most good. If you're already part of the scene, realize that what you're doing might have an impact far beyond this week, month, year, or even decade. Don't get too serious. Don't crush the magic but realize the magnitude of the opportunity and responsibility in front of you. There are many roles to play in a seniors, from the source who identifies the scene and expresses it, to the charismatics who make it legible, the artists who develop the palette and style of the scene, and even the fans who bring the excitement and activation energy. Seniors is kind of a silly word, but the exercise of zooming out and putting what we're living through in the context of astonishingly productive periods in history is useful. With hindsight, I would have wanted to be a philosopher in ancient Greece or an artist in Florence or an inventor during the Industrial Revolution. This is one of those rare opportunities with a difference. It's open to anyone in the world with an internet connection. Get involved. We're all going to make it. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back on Thursday. In the meantime, get out there and start experimenting. Have a good one.